0: The Holy Gospel, according to St. John chapter 18, verses 18 through 24 to 1937. To you, to then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not one of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters. So as to avoid ritual defilement, and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him according to your law. The Judeans replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. But... You have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and hand, had him flogged. And the soldiers wore <laughs> a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. And when the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and crucify him. I find no case against him. The people answered him, we have a law and according to that law, he ought to die because he is claimed to be the son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever he entered the headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the people cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement. Or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and in it, and it was about noon. He said to the people, "Here is your king." They cried out, "Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him!" Pilate asked them, "Shall I crucify your king?" The chief priests answered, "We have no king but the emperor." And then he handed him over to them to be crucified.
1: By himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priest said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but this man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written I have written, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, (laughs) woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill the scripture that says, They divided my clothes among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine and a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was a day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified, so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of Scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. The Gospel of the Lord.
2: Praise Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of the Crucified One. The face we show to the world day in and day out is typically polite, kind, smiling, or at the very least, benign. This is our Facebook self, the person we want to be, and the person we want others to think we are. But then there is our other self. As psychologists, theologians, and other astute students of human nature teach us, just below the surface of our Facebook profile, Underneath our public persona, there is a dark cellar in which we hide the ugly bits of ourselves, the refuse and the rubbish, those things we would rather not see, much less let others see. Our capacity for cruelty and hate, among other demons, tends to lurk in this hidden cellar. Of ours. Sometimes this lower level of the human personality breaks out and wreaks havoc. Good Friday is such a day. It is the day when humanity's ugly underbelly was exposed for all the world to see. The day when humanity nailed God to a cross out of sheer spite and fear and malice Jesus, hanging on the cross, an excruciatingly painful reminder of the evil that lurks within each one of us, but for the grace of God. And tragically, much as we would like to think that Good Friday is in the distant past, safely behind us, the truth of the matter is that it raises its ugly head again and again every time we lose sight of these dark shadows within ourselves and underestimate their destructive power. Perhaps you think I'm overstating things. Surely crucifixions and similar atrocities are perpetrated only by the deranged, the deluded, the demented. Well, let's consider the facts for a moment. Who were the ones who ran the concentration camps of Nazi Germany, kept the gas ovens fed, experimented on the disabled, and blithely exterminated millions of innocent people. Sometimes we kid ourselves into thinking, surely they must have been monsters. Except they were not. They were, in fact, ordinary men and women who lived in comfortable suburbs, dressed nicely, were well-mannered and came from the most well-educated and literate nation in the world? Or even closer to home, who were the ones who gathered by the thousands on Saturday afternoons in public squares throughout the South, bringing small children, selling tickets and popcorn for the entertainment of watching a black or brown person be lynched on a tree? and also that the fictitious norms of racial purity could be maintained. Here, too, these perpetrators were not monsters, but rather otherwise nice, church-going, white people who looked and acted a lot like you and me. I wish Nazi Germany and the Jim Crow South were historical aberrations, except that they're not. Think Rwanda in 1994, the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, the Armenian Genocide by the Ottomans, the American obliteration of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the slaughter of indigenous peoples in North America. And then, of course, there are the current atrocities taking place as we speak in the Ukraine. We could spend the entire evening compiling a list of massacres and brutal wars, not even touching the more numerous individual acts of hatred that fill the history books. Such human cruelty knows no geographic, ethnic, or historical bounds. It is always at the ready, poised to explode within the human soul whenever the right or wrong conditions present themselves. Consider, for example, this simple yet arresting fact of the present moment in which we live. There are far more guns in the United States today than people. 1.3 guns for every man, woman, and child. And the sale of firearms in our nation is escalating with more than 20 million firearms bought and sold just last year. We are a powder keg waiting to explode. In the quiet of our hearts, we tell ourselves that we could not possibly engage in such extreme acts of violence. And perhaps some of us couldn't. Yet even if we couldn't bring ourselves to be a direct perpetrator of evil, how many of us look the other way? pretending the darkness doesn't exist, disowning the moral responsibility to stop it from happening. Here is how the great English poet W.H. Auden makes this point. Just as we are all potentially in Adam when he fell, so we are all potentially in Jerusalem on that first Good Friday before there was an Easter. It seems to me, Auden writes, worthwhile asking ourselves, who would we have been and what would we have been doing that day? None of us, I'm certain, imagines himself as one of the fleeing disciples, cowering in fear, despair, and physical terror. And very few of us are big wheels enough to see ourselves as Pilate or good churchmen enough to see ourselves as a member of the Sanhedrin. In my most optimistic mood, Auden writes, I see myself as a sophisticated and cultured Roman visiting an intellectual friend. We are walking along, engaged in philosophical argument. Our path takes us past the base of Golgotha. Looking up, we see an all too familiar sight, three crosses surrounded by a jeering crowd, Frowning with prim distaste, I say, it's disgusting the way the mob enjoys such things. Why can't the authorities execute people humanely and in private by giving them hemlock to drink as they did with Socrates? Then, averting my eyes from the disagreeable spectacle, I resume my fascinating discussion with my friend about the true, the good, and the beautiful. Auden's point is this. While very few of us may be direct perpetrators of evil, most of us are, at one point or another, wittingly or not, bystanders to the world's evil. Does this distinction make a moral difference? The great Lutheran theologian and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't think so. As he once famously said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. Trust me, I do not like dwelling on these dark facts of human nature any more than you like hearing them. Indeed, I would prefer to skip Good Friday altogether and get straight to the good news of Easter, as so many of our good Christian friends do. Except that our faith teaches us that the only path to Easter is through, not around Good Friday. If we do not honestly confront the shadows within our own hearts and deal with them, they will deal with us. This is the ultimate message of the cross. Such an honest reckoning of our darker sides also means we must never allow ourselves to misrepresent Good Friday by indulging in the disingenuous dodge of scapegoating, this holy day has for too long been framed by Christians as an excuse for anti-Semitism. Let us once and for all put to rest the blasphemous lie that the Jews killed Jesus. This is a pernicious myth perpetrated by the Church over the centuries to make itself, to make ourselves, feel better about the crucifixion by pinning the blame on somebody else. In truth, we all killed Jesus. Rome killed Jesus by ordering his execution. The mob killed Jesus by picking Barabbas over the Son of God. Peter killed Jesus by denying him three times. The other disciples killed Jesus by abandoning him at his time of greatest need, The religious authorities killed Jesus by turning him over to Rome in the first place. Judas killed Jesus by betraying him. And we continue to kill Jesus every time we turn to violence or power or other false idols rather than loving God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Good Friday is the day for us to own up to the mysterious darkness lurking within the cellars of our hearts. Good Friday is the day to admit that this destructiveness within us cannot be transformed by God's grace on Easter morning unless and until we acknowledge that we are captive to its pull still. And most importantly, Good Friday is the day to express our everlasting gratitude to the one who is willing to suffer the slings and arrows of humanity's baser self, even to the point of death on a cross, and all so that we might escape from the darkness of our cellars and bask instead in the light and love of our Father's eternal home.